So let's go ahead and get something out of the way. Everybody's been asking me, so you've been off for the month of February. What did you learn? I'm just going to be honest. I didn't know I went to learn anything, but I did learn a couple of things. I learned that a midday nap will completely wreck a good sleeping habit at night. I learned that if you watch YouTube TV long enough, it will turn you off. Um, I learned sour cream does go bad. Um, it's already soured. I mean, why? I don't understand that. But I also learned this. I learned there's nothing like a good church family. I learned that absence does make the heart grow fonder because I have seriously missed every single one of you. Turning off was the hardest thing to do. Turning my cell phone off, just turning off, getting some time with me and God, it was extremely hard. That first week, I'm gonna be honest with you, that first week was the biggest challenge of my life. Just trying to shut down and get to a point to where I could sit down and listen to God. But over that month, I heard something. I heard something that I have not heard in a long time. You wanna hear it? Anybody wanna hear it? All right, well, listen, I need you to be very quiet, extremely quiet, because I want you to hear what I hear, heard. You ready? Here it is. You want to hear it again? Let's hear it one more time. Everybody extremely quiet and just listen. Silence. Silence is something that is awkward to us. It's awkward to us in many ways. For me, being a very extroverted person, whenever there's a conversation and there's a break in that conversation, that silence, it kills me. It's deafening. I feel very uncomfortable. I don't know if I, I'm supposed to be saying something. I don't know if there's supposed to be a rebuttal coming. I don't know. But silence is one of those things that just absolutely gets me. It unnerves me. It unnerves me to have times of silence in my life. Because when I have these times of silence in my life, I feel like, I feel like something's missing. But one thing that I learned over the last couple of weeks is silence is necessary. Silence is necessary. In silence, we find clarity. In silence, we find understanding. And in silence, we find something that is extremely important for every believer to have, self-awareness. We have to constantly be aware of ourselves. And I know I've talked about this multiple times, about the noise that is all around us. But the silence that I'm talking about today is not the noise that is all around us. The silence I'm talking about today is dealing with the noise that is inside of us. Silence is needed in our lives. But most of the time, we just don't take the time to experience silence. Silence is what we need most to achieve inner peace. I want, you, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. When's the last time that you truly had inner silence in your life? Think about it. For some of you, it's been so long, you forgot what it said, sounded like. For some of you, it is one of those moments when there is an inner silence, it gets kind of anxiety, you get kind of anxious about it. But silence is something that we must have in our lives if we're gonna go if we're going to grow closer with God. And I'm gonna give you a little snippet that goes to the end, but this is something that most believers miss. It is when we are in true silence that we really hear God. Because it's hard to hear God with everything going on inside. Nevertheless, everything that's going on around us, but it's hard to ha hear God when we've got so many things going on inside of us. The conflict and wars that are waging on a daily basis inside of us, it becomes deafening. 
And it's hard for us to escape from that. But is it possible? Is it possible to truly experience an inner silence? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But for us to do that, we've got to do some things that we're really not good at. We have to do some self-denial. And I'm not talking about denying who you are. I'm not talking about denying, denying your time with God. I'm talking about denying your flesh. We're told right before you put on the armor of God that the wars that we battle are not flesh and blood. And they're not, guys. The battles that we go through on a daily basis, it's not with flesh and blood. Yes, we're seeing wars wage right now in a way that's absolutely breaking my heart. But on a daily basis, we are dealing with inner wars inside of us. And these wars are raging loud. These wars are bringing conflict. And these wars are robbing us from truly hearing what God has to say to us. David experienced this. And in Psalms 133, and if you will, go ahead and turn there. David helps us to have some understanding to why it is that we do not have this inner silence. Now, something you need to understand about Psalms 133. Psalms 133 has been said by Charles Spurgeon to be one of the shortest psalms in the book, yet it's also one of the hardest to learn. So today we're going to be learning something. Today we're going to be learning something to apply to our life. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This has been a psalm that I have read and repeated for the last 28 days. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've had a lot of conflict, inner conflict, with what God is speaking through this psalm. So in Psalm 133, let's read it together. 31. 31. Sorry. Yeah, just making sure. Some things never change, guys, okay? Some things will never change. Psalm 131. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, many of us, with wars we're waging inside of us right now. There are so many things pulling at us within our daily life that sometimes, Lord, it's hard for us to even take this time that we're taking right now to sit, to dwell on your word, to meditate on your word, to sing praises to you and to even come to you in prayer. But Father, it is my heart this morning that through this scripture, you would help us learn the sound of silence. Father, it's in silence that you speak the loudest. It's in silence that we become aware of who we are. But it's also in silence, Lord, that we realize our desperate need for the gospel every single day of our lives. This morning, Lord, our hearts are also breaking for what's going on all around the world, specifically in Ukraine. Father, many of our brothers and sisters that we have never met are dealing with a situation that we've never had to deal with. Father, we've never had to defend our country the way these men and women are doing it right now. We've never had a situation to where one day we were just living our lives and the next day we were soldiers. We've never had to experience 
a full-on assault, attack in our country. Yes, Lord, we've had multiple events that have been attacks on our country, but nothing compared to what they're going through now. Father, my prayer for my brothers and sisters this morning is for strength. I pray that you would continue, Lord, to strengthen them every day as they fight for their freedom. I pray, Lord, for peace. And not just a peace to this conflict, but an inner peace inside of them, Lord. That even in the midst of this conflict, they know that you are there. And Lord, we all have so many questions about what needs to be done and how to handle this situation. But Father, we are completely dependent on you. Because you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the beginning and the end. You are infinite wisdom. And Father, this morning, we seek your infinite wisdom. Not only for our brothers and sisters, but also for us. Father, in the silence of this morning, in the silence of our hearts, speak through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Some of you are probably wondering uh, why I'm the only one here. Um, Just to clarify that, uh, y'all pray for my wife. She is at home with two sick boys. I woke up, left. She called me, and let's just say some projectile things is happening right now. So be in prayer for my wife, because it's not just one of them, it's two of them. And I really feel kind of bad being here. So baby, if you're watching, I'm sorry. I love you. I'll be home soon. A couple of things that David's pointing out to us in Psalm 131. And we really have to sit and reflect on these things for a minute. The first thing he points out is a proud heart. Now, we've got to understand, David's making a very, very, what's the right word? Bold claim. He says, my heart is not proud. I don't know about y'all, but I can't say that. Because pride lives deep inside of my heart on a daily basis. A prideful heart always looks to its own interest. And you know, there's many people who will say, they'll say something and and it's one of those cute little sayings that's become a cliche that we really don't think a lot about. But a lot of people will say, follow your heart. (coughs) Do we really understand how dangerous that is? There is 10 years of my life that I followed my heart. I kind of call it my Solomon moment, my King Solomon moment, because I really didn't. I didn't withhold myself from anything. I allowed myself to do whatever I wanted to do. I truly followed my heart. And brothers and sisters, I'm gonna tell you something. That following of my heart took me places that nobody should go. It took me to a deep, dark place in my life to where I wasn't seeking anything else. I was simply seeking what Scotty wanted, when Scotty wanted it, how Scotty wanted it, all the time. And I know there's a lot of people who will say, but Scotty, you don't understand. My heart, my heart is not that way. Do you understand how prideful that is to say that in the first fact? I mean, think about that. We all see people get involved in situations. And the first thing that will come to our mind is, I would never, I would never allow myself to do that. Be careful. Be careful. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled who said those very words. I will never allow my marriage to get to that point. I will never allow my relationship to get to that, or my kids to get to that point. I will never allow this addiction or this this enjoyment to get to that point. Later on down the road, just to have them come to me and pour their heart out to me about how the pride in their heart, seeking what they desired, has absolutely paralyzed them. 
Jeremiah 17 says the heart, listen, the heart above all things, above everything else is deceitful and wicked. So when we are telling people to follow their heart, realize this, we're telling them to follow the most deceitful and wicked thing that is on this earth. Don't be saying that. That's a prideful statement in itself. When you tell people to follow their heart, they're gonna follow their heart's desires. So where do these desires come from in their heart? Well, he goes on to say about the haughty eyes. He says, nor are my eyes haughty. That's a bold statement as well. You've got to understand that the eyes are nothing more than the windows into your heart. Your eyes see the things that you want. And when they see the things that they want, they bring those desires inside and you go after them. I hate, I hate when Apple sends me a new email about a new phone coming out. Because I have some friends, I'm the, I kid you not, I've got some friends who I don't care if they just got the I-12 or what number are we on now? We're on 13? Wow. I'm still on eight, so bear with me. Some of y'all wonder, why is his text not going through? Well, Noah had his phone before him, so be patient. But we see people going after these new things, and they're constantly updating. New iPhone, new Samsung phone, new Apple Watch, new iPad, new computer. They've always got to have the newest and greatest. Anybody like that? Maybe it's not a computer, maybe it's not a phone, maybe it's a car. Maybe you have to have the newest model of your car because this car, the newer model, has a wireless charger and yours didn't have that before. Maybe it's a new home. Nothing wrong with your home that you got now, but the home that you have now it's not exactly in the best location. You're not looking at the mountains the way you want to. So you got to go find a new home that looks at the perfect thing. These desires that are inside of us are doing nothing but trying to satisfy a need that we have inside of us. It is a need that we have inside of us to have these new things, to have these new possessions, to have these new cars. And the reason we have to have these is because they bring a small, small, small amount of satisfaction to our life for a very temporary time. But while they may give you slight temporary satisfaction, all these things will do only one thing. They'll always leave you wanting more. It's crazy, the more things I get, the more things I want. And brothers and sisters, understand this. It starts off as a want. What our eyes see, we want. And then it goes into something else. Because what we want will eventually become what we covet. And what we covet will always become what we worship. Starts off as a want, turns into a covet, becomes worship. And it always goes like this. The next thing he says, nor do I myself involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. I'm going to sum this one up real easy. What Paul is saying, or not Paul, what David is saying here is David is saying, I have learned to stay in my lane. Let me repeat that because there's a lot of people who need to hear that today. Amen. I have learned to stay in my lane. I got up this morning, went to pick, uh, pick the kids up. Glad to have them with us here, guys. So glad y'all had a great time. Hey, little announcement. As we know right now, there were three individuals at this week's D Now who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior. Let's give God a hand for that. 
Not only that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw something last night. I saw a picture of something last night. No, I wasn't spying on y'all. Yes, I was. Um, but I saw a picture of a hundred plus teenagers on their knees praying for situations just like what we're talking about today. Praying for things that they're going through. Praying for things going on in our world. And I want to tell you something, guys. It rocked me. They're leading. So let's follow. Let's follow. But what David's saying here is he is saying that we need to learn to stay in our lane. And when I went and picked up the kids this morning, I know they didn't think about it, but you know, down the blue or Gainesville Highway, we've got these new little bumps. You know what I'm talking about? You get over just a little bit and it's I love them. I hit them on purpose. I'll sit there and see how long I can stay on it. It's a, it's a game for me. If I can stay on, on the outside one, I don't hit the inside one, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not that bad. But if I can stay on that outside one long enough, man, I feel like I'm racking up points. I feel like I'm winning a game. Some of y'all's cars have lane assist in them. And these lane assist, it's, it's crazy because you've got these cameras on your car and if your car goes over towards the line a little bit, sometimes you'll get a doo-doo. I, just want, I turned it off on mine, I'm gonna be honest with you. After five miles down the road, yeah, that's enough, get off of this. But some of our cars will even do something a little bit more, more engineered. You can let go of the steering wheel. You can sit there. And as long as it's not, now I would not suggest doing it on Neil's Gap. I wouldn't go to the dragon's tail just to see if it's gonna do it. But if it's on a four lane, I tried it out. Two straight miles on the four lane. It drove itself. It stayed in the lane. We have all these things to help us stay in our lane. But too often, all of us get in this situation. We get in this situation to where we get involved in things that I'm going to be honest with you, we have no business getting involved with. Some of us want to assert our opinion. Just remember, some of us think that we would be a better leader. So we assert our authority. Some of us think that we have the answers for everybody else's life. But what's funny is if you look on the inside of those individuals' lives, their lives are more wrecked than everybody else's. Brothers and sisters, we have to learn to stay in our lane. God has given you a path. God has given you a life. And until you get the speck or the log out of your own eye, Quit trying to pull the speck from somebody else's. But what is David saying in these things? Pride, prideful heart, haughty eyes, and staying in your lane. Many theologians think that David had learned, had learned an art that many of us haven't learned. Many theologians think that David learned the art of contentment. But I'm going to be honest with you, after reading this for a month, I don't think contentment is what David learned. I think what David learned was really the art of self-control. We don't talk about that much, do we? We don't talk about self-control much, do we? That's one of those things that we don't bring up because when we talk about self-control, we have to step back and really look at who we are, the things we do. Self-control is body language. I'm horrible. I'm horrible at body language. I tense up for no reason. I don't know why I do it. I tense up for no reason. A lot of people will try to read the expressions on my face. Don't do that, please. Please. I've got 400 things going on up here at one time. I'm trying to slow them down 
So the expression on my face, is there's a good chance it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the Green Bay Packers. It has to do with NASCAR. It has to do with everything else going on in my life. Don't read my facial expressions, please. Please. But to really understand what David is talking about here, we have to learn and look to when this scripture was written and what it was written about. And I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody can tell us. Nobody can tell us. Nobody can tell us a specific time when this song was wrote. But I found one that applies. And I want you just to listen with me. We're not going to turn there to it. But we're going to be in Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 24, a matter of fact. And I'm going to tell you the story. And I want you to tell me if this doesn't line up with exactly what David is saying right here. David, when he is young, he is a shepherd. He is anointed as king. He is anointed as king because Saul, the other anointed king, had let the pride of his heart rule his life. He had taken things that he had seen. Saul did not stay in his lane. He didn't stay in his lane as being a king. He even tried to perform the duties of the priest. So David, this young boy, is anointed king. Everybody knows the story, how he slayed the the giant. He slayed Goliath and how the people of Israel absolutely loved him. They knew that David one day was going to be king. And what did this do to Saul? Made him angry. It made him angry. It made him so angry that he started going after David. He wanted to kill David because David was a threat to his kingdom. Not God's kingdom, Saul's kingdom. While they're running, while David is running away and Saul is out fighting battles and trying to pursue David at the same time, it comes a time where it just so happened they're in the same place at the same time. David and his men are hiding in a cave. Saul, traveling for so long, I can identify with this. After you travel so long, you got to have a bathroom break. You know what I mean? He had to have a bathroom break. So he sees the cave. Saul goes in that cave. David is in that cave. David's men look at David and say, here's your opportunity. He's after you. We know that you are anointed to be king. We know that you see that power he has. And David, your opportunity is right before you. David, I don't really know what was going through his mind. I'm not going to sit here and act like I know what was going through his mind. But what happened was David snuck up behind Saul while he is taking care of business. The first thing David does is he takes out his knife, sword, really doesn't say, and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And as soon as he does that, conviction hits him. It hits him hard. Instead of going through with what everybody else in the world is telling him, instead of going through probably what's going on in his own heart, let's just be honest. If we were in the situation, the story would probably be wrote differently. But David knows that he is anointed to be king. David sees the opportunity to take that power. But this conviction causes David to stay in his lane. He walks back to the men, tells him he can't do it. When Saul exits the cave, David comes out behind him. Holding the corner of the robe, high in the air, saying, Saul, 
Saul's trembling. Saul didn't know what to think. Turns around and he sees David. Paraphrasing, David says, I had the opportunity, but I know you are God's anointed and I spared your life. David knew he was king. A lot of pride had to be there, wouldn't it? Knowing that he's already been anointed to be king. David saw the opportunity to take what he really desired. Because I'm going to be honest with you. When you know that you're supposed to be in a position, your heart will run towards that position to do whatever it needs to do to get you to that position. And David stayed in his lane. Self-control is something that I've always struggled with. I've struggled with self-control with addiction. I've struggled with self-control with lust. I've struggled with self-control with staying in my lane a lot of times throughout the majority of my life. If I would have been in David's place, brothers and sisters, that story would not have ended the same. And honestly, if you were in that situation, it probably wouldn't have ended the same either. David had learned not to be content with where he was, but how to control himself from doing the things that his heart desired. How to control himself from taking hold of the things that he saw. And he had learned how to control himself to stay in the lane that God had placed him. That's why David was able to say this next part. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. A quieted and composed soul is a controlled soul. I want you to be honest with me. How many of you honestly feel like you have control of every desire of your heart, every thought of your mind, everything that you want in life do you have the control to hold yourself back from that? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have that control. But it is a control that can be learned. And I know some of you are thinking, Scotty, how can you say that? Because if this one man can learn it, so can we. But at the same time, we need to understand this. This control is not something that he kept this control is something that he battled with all of his life. On a daily basis, David was battling the desires of his heart. This desire one day overwhelmed him. He's king of all, all the nation of Israel. And when kings are due, when kings do what they're supposed to be doing which is going to war, David sent his troops off. And David stood back. David stayed in the safety zone. And he's out on his balcony, looking all over his kingdom, and lo and behold, there's a woman. There's a woman taking a bath. He sees he desires, and ultimately, because this woman had a husband, David gets out of his lane. All of us have these moments where we get out of our lane. Every single one of us, and I know there's lots of terminologies for it. Some people call it backsliding. Some people call it just disobedience. And again, there are lots of terminologies for it. 
But the thing that you need to know more than anything is just because you are out of your lane does not mean you can't get back on the right path. There is always grace. And I think as Christians, we forget this. We think that we just needed grace that day that we got saved. I need grace every day of my life. I need grace with my boys. I need grace with my wife. I need grace with my family. I need grace dealing with people. I need grace going to the grocery store. I need grace getting on the road. I need grace with the IRS. Can I get an amen? Amen. I need grace every single day of my life because on the inside, I am battling this war that is going on within me. This war that is pulling me from the left to the right. This war that has taken me places that I don't want to go. And there are days, guys, I know, there are days you just can't shut it off. But I've got to ask you, have you tried? Have you tried? Because most of us, I'll be honest with you, we just haven't put forth the effort. You ever notice Some things you stop in your life, you lose a taste for. Our small group, we continued to meet with our small group over the, over the month of February. I'm glad we did because I got to see something that was very unusual. We start off with sweet tea. Who doesn't drink sweet tea? I mean, we're in the South. We drink sweet tea. That's what we do. And if you don't, go buy you a gallon of Milo or go buy you some bags and try it out. You'll thank me later. But Daryl and Misty, I apologize because I didn't ask them for this. Daryl and Misty, Misty have made this shift, this shift to where they are drinking unsweet tea. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I'm praying for their sanctification. I really am. I'm praying it's just a phase. But after a while, people who have stopped drinking sweet tea get to a point to where they can't drink it no more. Same thing. I'll I'll give you an instance in my life. I used to smoke like a freight train. I'm not kidding you. Three packs a day. And I didn't smoke those filtered things either. Camel unfiltered. That's what I loved. Me and, well, I'm not going to get him in trouble. Lucky strikes when we could find them. But I got to a point in my life to where I said, I don't want to smoke no more. And I stopped smoking. And you know what? I don't understand how I ever did it before. I don't understand how I dealt with that taste in my mouth. I don't understand how I dealt with that smell on my clothes. I don't understand how I even breathed. You see, we can quit things that we truly want to quit. We can tame these temptations. We can tame these desires. And we can tame them to the point to where they are not as desirable anymore. The only question is, are we really willing to try? Are we willing to deny ourselves of the things that we desire? David gives a perfect illustration of this. Like a weaned child leans against his mother. What's a weaned child? A weaned child is a child who has been taking off the mother's nourishment. Now, could it have went on? Yeah, it could have went on. It looked weird. <laughs> Just going to be honest. It would uh, been wild driving up through the school pit drop-off line and mama, <laughs> I mean, that would have been awful. 
But at the same time, that child was weaned off of that for a purpose of what? Growth. You see, brothers and sisters, self-denial is actually what is stopping us from growing in our faith. Us not telling ourselves no is what's causing us from stepping forward in grace with God. Because there was a time where we needed that milk. But there comes a time that we have to say no to that milk. We have to be weaned off of that nourishment because if we are not weaned off of that nourishment, we will never grow to greater things. What's God wanting to grow you to? What is God wanting to grow you to today? What are the things that are truly holding you back from growing to what God wants you to grow to? Because I promise you, they can all be boiled down to three things. Your desires, your pride, and not staying in your lane. I've got to a point, guys, I'd got to a point, and a lot of people were trying to figure out why is it that I needed a, a month off. And I'm going I'm to be honest with you why I needed a month off. And for a long time, I thought it was because of dealing with everything else. I thought it was because of dealing with 2022 or 2020. I thought it was because of dealing with 2021. I thought it was because of dealing with politics. I thought it was because of dealing with church politics. But the true reason I needed a little time off is because I really needed to deal with some things in here. I really needed to deal with some pride that I had to let go of. I really needed to deal with some things that my desires were getting out of control. And I really needed to deal with me staying in the lane that God has for me. Because it's hard. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in ministry. Every single one of us get to a point to where we blame the things that are going on around us for really the things that are going on inside of us. And you know what happens when we don't deal with the things that are inside of us? We can't hear God. Elijah had one of these moments. I'm gonna wrap up with this. Please listen to this. Elijah had one of these moments. Elijah had just come off the spiritual high of spiritual highs. It was a showdown between God and Baal. And God reigned supreme. The prophets of Baal did everything they could to call on Baal to show the people that he was God and nothing happened. Elijah calls out. God sends down a flame, burns the altar, burns the ground, burns everything. Makes orders, kill the prophets of Baal. They're all dead. God showed out. The enemy's gone. Spiritual high. Jezebel gets wind of it. And Jezebel sends a message. I will do to you exactly what you did to all these prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow. Elijah Elijah gets in a funk. Everybody says depression hasn't existed too long. No, depression's been around for a while. Elijah was depressed. He runs off. He isolates. He stops eating. All he wants to do is sleep. 
An angel wakes him up. Says, eat and drink. There's a loaf of bread there. There's water there. Elijah eats, he drinks, goes back to sleep. Angel wakes him up again. Says, eat, drink. You're about to go on a journey and you need strength for this. So Elijah gets up, he eats, drinks, and he heads for Mount Sinai. When he gets to Mount Sinai, he's still in his funk. He's still in his depressed state of mind. And God calls for him. Elijah, what are you doing here? God, I've been very zealous for you. I have done all these things for you. And now my life is on the line. I am scared for my life. There are so many things going on inside of me, God. Just kill me now. Just kill me now, God. About that time, God sends a huge windstorm. And I'm talking about a windstorm so massive that it picked up boulders and slammed them against the cliff. But God wasn't in the windstorm. After the windstorm dies down, he sends an earthquake. And I'm not talking about a little earthquake. I'm talking about an earthquake that shook the whole mountain of Sinai. But God was it in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire out of nowhere comes, consuming everything. But God was it in the fire. And then, in a small, still voice, Elijah, why are you here? We miss the meaning of that story a lot of times. Because what God's speaking through that is he's not in the chaos of your life. He's not in the conflict that is in your heart. He's in the silence. He's in the moments to where you bring yourself to a little bit of self-control and you quieten your soul. You compose your spirit. I don't know, a lot of people say, well, God will do that for you. God does not always do that for you. God does not always do that for you. And I'll tell you why God doesn't do that, always do that for you. Because if he always did that for you, you wouldn't have a need for him no more. And sometimes he lets you go through that conflict. Sometimes he lets you go through that pain. Why? So you can quieten yourself, compose yourself. No matter the storm, no matter the earthquake, no matter the fire, He's calling out to you this morning. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? For some this morning, you haven't been hearing that voice. And there's two reasons for not being able to hear that voice. The first reason is that you are still in control of your life, or at least you think you are. You think your life is good the way it's going, but every day you wake up wanting more. You think your life is perfect, but every day you realize how horrible you are. And you know with inside of you, you have never surrendered your life to God. You have never believed 
that Jesus died for your sins and that he did it because he wanted a relationship with you. Your soul is not quieted. It's not composed. It's out of control. And you don't know how to stop it. Repent. Turn from what you're doing. Turn from your mindset of thinking that you've got it all together. And believe that Jesus died so that he could help you get it together. The other reason, the other reason is we haven't quieted our soul enough. We haven't embraced the sound of silence. We allow those wars to wage in us. We allow those desires to control us. We allow our life to be absolutely out of control. And I know some of you think, Scotty, I can't do this. If you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord, Master, and Savior, you have an indwelling in you of Christ Himself. The most meekest, humblest, gentlest person to ever be. The most self-controlled individual that this world has ever seen. He is in you. And while you can't do it all on your own, he is there to help you. Have you asked? Have you asked? This morning, why are you here? Father, your word, man, it is a double-edged sword. It cuts to the one who speaks it and it cuts to the one who hears it. And this morning, Lord, as we meditate on this word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do in us what only it can do. I thank you, Lord, for being able to be back with my family. I thank you for the opportunity to speak your truth. Now, Father, help us apply it. We need you to help us. Do what only you can do, God. Change our hearts. Draw them to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.